At this time, we would like to recognize our moms. We know that you have a full-time job, and we are so appreciative for you. We couldn't do it without you. So if you're a mother, would you please stand? Isn't that a beautiful sight? I was beginning to wonder there. Let's give our moms a good round of applause, shall we? Before you sit down, if you're standing around these mothers, would you just stand up for a second and tell them how important they are? Just tell them they're a blessing to you. Just give them one good phrase before you sit down. Go ahead. Tell the moms how wonderful they are. Can I introduce somebody to you? Uh, Nani, can I get you to stand for just one second? This is my wife's mother, Raynell Craft, all the way from Longview, Texas, blessing us here today. Listen. And she's also accompanied by Claire's sister, Kim Phillips. Could you stand, Kim? We're, on we're honored to have them here with us, and we're honored to have you here with us. Uh, you're a blessing, okay? If you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, today I've entitled the message, A Gift for a Mother. A Gift for a Mother. There have been many unusual gifts given to mothers through the years. There was an eight-year-old girl who wrote her mother a note on Mother's Day, and she said, Mom, here's a box of candy I bought for you on Mother's Day. It's very good, I know, because I've already eaten three of the pieces. Another eight-year-old said, Mom, happy Mother's Day. I want it to be a good day, so here are two aspirin I've got for you. <laughs> we look at that and we say, well, that's probably not the best Mother's Day gift you can give, but in the heart of an eight-year-old, uh, they thought it was wonderful. Today, we're going to look at an unusual Mother's Day gift. Now, keep in mind, Mother's Day didn't come around until, I think, 1914 officially, but in the mind and heart of our Lord, uh, mothers have a very, very special place. This is a very sensitive text. It's something that we want to really draw out the emotion that's found in it. But it's very, very powerful. Remember, the Bible is not a story of fiction or parables or, or excuse me, fiction or myth, mythical legends. The Bible's truth. And what we're going to talk about today is a true story that really happened. So let's read the text together. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. And then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Here's the question we want to answer. What lesson can a grieving mother teach us about God? Uh, I would like to submit to you there are three lessons that we can learn from this text. If you're following along in the outline provided in your bulletin, here's the first point. You and I should be amazed by God's providence. His providence. Let me explain. 
If we look at verses 11 and 12, there are two keys that help us to unlock this text. I've got them underlined for you. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Let me explain that. The Bible tells us that Jesus had just come from Capernaum. There was a centurion who had a servant who was ill and was on uh, death's door. And Jesus went and healed the centurion's servant, saying these words to the servant or to the centurion, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of great rejoicing. Somebody was healed that was on death's door. Capernaum is about 25 miles from Nain. So after Jesus does this healing, he takes a long, if you will, one day journey. And as he's coming into this little town of Nain, we see a large crowd coming toward him. Look what it says in verse 12. As he approached the town gate, that's of Nain, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. Now, the way funerals worked in that day and time, if I can kind of picture it for you, here comes out of the town gate, it was, if somebody died in a Jewish city, they had to be buried in the same day, they couldn't stay in that city. So they had to take the body outside of the city walls and bury the body outside. They would put the body in what's called a, a beer or a casket, if you will. It's not like a coffin that we have today. It's open. So you can think of it like a pallet or a stretcher that they would bring the body out on. The deceased's mother would go first. So you see this mom coming out. Following her is the, the body of the deceased. And then behind them would be mourners. It would be a time of great sadness. Although they did have what they would call professional mourners and people that played the dirge or the lyre, so that they were very serious about this. When somebody died, they would have their burial on the same day, but there was a time of the city coming together and mourning. It would be like somebody that we know passing away, we go to their funeral. So let's put this in our, in our minds, this picture. Here comes Jesus, followed by a crowd rejoicing coming from Capernaum. A large crowd following Jesus. Yay, Jesus healed the centurion servant. They're coming here. And then over here, coming out of the city of Nain, you see this mom, this mother, leading her deceased child, followed by a bunch of mourners. This large crowd is rejoicing. This large crowd is mourning. And in the providence of God, the two shall meet. Now, the word providence, you might want to write this down, is broken up into two words. The word pro means before. And video means to see. It means literally God sees beforehand. God knows what's coming to pass. Now this is a theological truth that will stretch our thinking when we think of the problems in this world. But God clearly takes credit and responsibility for the control of this world. He's sovereign. God in his providence is setting up this divine encounter. A large crowd rejoicing and a large crowd mourning. But I want you to think in your minds about this mom. She is grieving. And look what the Bible says about her. It's very, very sad. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now, in Greek, the word son here literally doesn't mean small child. It means a young man under the age of 40. He had been taking care of his mom in all likelihood because she was a widow. You've you got to understand that in this day and time, it was a... A, a bad thing to be a, 
a widow with nobody to support you. In fact, you see the, the quote in your outline from David Jeremiah's study Bible. He says, in that culture, a woman without a husband or son was very likely to end up in utter poverty with no means to support herself. So can you imagine, this is a woman, a mother, she'd already lost her husband. Can you imagine the grief and the sadness of losing your husband? And now she's losing her son, her only son, under the age of 40 to care for her. And she's leading the funeral procession out of the city of Nain. What do you do when pain reaches a level that you no longer understand? It was David Wilkerson who said, the hardest part of faith is the last 30 minutes. I mean, have you ever gotten to the end of your rope and you said, I can't take it anymore? We're talking about this mom 2,000 years later. God wants us to know that in the deepest, most despairing times of her life, God sees beforehand. And, and she's walking out with her only son deceased behind her, mourners behind her, without hope, not knowing what the future holds. But what she doesn't see is there's a crowd rejoicing coming toward her. And we often don't see what's ahead of us, but God does because God sees beforehand. Now, we are really quick to assign judgment to things as to whether they're good or bad. We look at this, oh, Jeff, that's bad. Oh, Jeff, this is good. I want to be in this large crowd. Yay. Cheering. Jesus healed. But, but some folks are in... In, in this crowd over here. Do you know as you go through life, sometimes you're going to be in this crowd and sometimes you're going to be in this crowd. But it's hard to decide which one's good and which one's bad. There's an old Chinese legend that I've heard expressed in several different ways from preachers. It goes like this. A Chinese, gen a Chinese gentleman lived on the border of China and Mongolia. In those days, there was constant conflict and strife along the perimeter. The man had a beautiful horse, and one day the horse leaped over the corral, raced down the road, and crossed the border, and was captured by the Mongolians. His friends came to comfort him. That's bad news, they said sadly. And the man said, what makes you think it's bad news, asked the Chinese gentleman. Maybe it's good news. A few days later, the mayor came bolting into his corral, bringing with it a massive stallion. And his friends crowded around saying, that's good news, they cried. What makes you think it's good news? Maybe it's bad news, he said. Later, his son was trying to ride the stallion and trying to break it and was thrown off and broke his leg. That's bad news, cried his friends. The man said, what makes you think it's bad news? Maybe it's good news. One week later, war broke out with Mongolia and the Chinese general came through drafting all the young men except the young man who had the broken leg. He said to his friends, you see, the things you thought were bad turned out to be good and the things you thought were good turned out to be bad. And as we look at these two crowds, we're fixing to understand that point, that principle. This is really bad news, and we put an exclamation point on the end of it, but God sees beforehand, and God's not finished. And you come over here, and you see these folks rejoicing, but hey, life doesn't stop after a victory. It keeps going on. What I want you to see is the inevitable conflict, the inevitable clash of that which is good, or rejoicing, and that which is being mourned. Because God sees all. And I want to give you hope. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're in that camp. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're in that camp. But God sees both. Amen? We have to have hope. The Bible says in Romans 
we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I remember the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, when his brother sold him, remember that, into slavery? He ended up in prison for being faithful and not having an adulterous affair with Potiphar's wife. He did good all the time. But he had a resonant faith. He stuck with it. He did not quit. Finally, God, in his way of bringing things together for good, brought his brothers in front of him. What did Joseph say to his brothers? He said, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We go through various rejoicing and mourning times in life. But we've got to remember the big picture. God sees beforehand, and what we think might be bad, God might think is good. God is setting something up that we may not yet see. Don't quit. Point number two. We should be astounded by God's power. You see, so many of us are passive in our Christian faith, and we limit God based on our commitment to him. We become apathetic when we have the difficulties of life come our way. But I want you to see verses 13 through 15 because these three verses are just filled with the compassion and power of our God. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Now I want you to see something here. Who does Jesus see? There's two crowds of folks. Many times we're in a crowd, we think we're left out, we're all alone, God doesn't see us. But, but Jesus sees the mother. And the Bible says his heart went out to her. The word there is compassion. The inner deepest parts of his being went out to her. And then he says something that you and I would probably say, huh? He says to her, don't cry. Come on, Jesus, you can't be serious. She just lost her only son. She lost her husband. Life's against her. And you're telling her not to cry? Not only does the text say don't cry, in the Greek, this is an imperative. It's a command. He's saying, stop crying. Now, theologians will call this a gentle command. It's a command, but a gentle command. Not one without emotion, not one without uh, understanding. Because Jesus sees what she doesn't see. He's saying to her, you know... Stop crying because something fixing, something's fixing to happen that's really, really good that you haven't seen yet. That's Jesus' perspective on this. So he says to her, stop crying. I don't know about you, but I've said to a few children through the years, stop crying. Stop it. It's not a gentle command. It's a firm command. But Jesus is different from, from a human being. When he says, stop it, he has the full authority of the deity of Christ. He's God in the flesh. When he says stop it, it's because he has a purpose, a reason that we often don't see. His heart went out to her and he said to her, don't cry. Jesus spoke to the mother. He saw her in the crowd and spoke to her because he was moved with compassion for her. I want you to see something here. Okay. So many times when you're in this crowd, you feel like everybody's left you. You feel all alone. I, I experienced that. You feel like what else could happen here? I lost my husband. I lost my son. I'm fixing to lose all my finances. Anybody up there that cares? Anybody? Ever feel that way? I do at times. God is giving her and us through her a lesson in realizing that God sees what we don't see. So we're to trust the God that we cannot see who sees what we cannot see as we go through life. And we're all going to have these experiences where we get to learn this lesson. And then Jesus does something 
amazing. He goes up to the coffin and he touches it. Now, in Numbers 19, 16, it says that one would be defiled if he touched a dead person. You're not supposed to do this. Uh, You're not supposed to touch a dead person. You have to be outside of the camp because you become unclean. But the creator of the universe dispels darkness. Darkness doesn't touch him. When he touches darkness, darkness goes. And the lesson here is death is subservient to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Death can't have a, a hold on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus just goes up and touches, uh, it's something spectacular happens. I'm reminded of the story of Bill Gaither and an evangelist who went and were preaching. I think it was in the 1960s. And the evangelist said to, to Bill Gaither, he says, you know, as you go through the Bible, isn't it amazing when Jesus touches someone, things happen. And from that conversation, Bill Gaither wrote a song and it included these words. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me and made me whole. It's a good prayer. Jesus touched me. Touch that person that's sick. Touch that person that's in that crowd. It's a good thing to pray for Jesus to touch you. Well, if you look at this, read it slow. Jesus went up and touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still. They're thinking, oh my gosh, he's not supposed to do this. He's breaking the law. He's he's claiming to be a prophet. He's breaking the law. They just had a small Jesus, not a big Jesus. They didn't really know who he was. So Jesus goes and touches the coffin. They stood still. And here's the, the second imperative. Remember he said to the mom, don't cry. That's an imperative, a command. We, we see one more imperative here. And it's filled with power and compassion. He says, young man, I say to you, get up. Get up. Now, I wouldn't recommend you do this at a funeral. Some have tried. But we're not Jesus. It's okay to pray. It's okay to pray for those that are sick to be healed. But Jesus, can you put yourself in this situation? I mean, here's a mom that's grieving. Her son's deceased in the casket. And all those people behind are mourning. And Jesus, the living son of God, goes up to the casket, touches it. And he says, young man, I say to you, get up. Spectacular, isn't it? Just spectacular. And look at verse 15. The dead man sat up and began to talk. I wonder what he said. I wish the Bible would tell us what he said. Can you imagine what he said? You know, I I had some thoughts coming to my mind. I probably shouldn't say them. You probably have some thoughts coming into your mind. You know, it it would all be speculation, but he talked. Commentators have said it's to show everybody that he was still alive. That he was alive again. But I love this next phrase. Look at this. Jesus gave him back to his mother. What compassion, what power. Jesus is saying to her, Happy Mother's Day. It's a gift for a mother, for a beautiful Savior. This is one of three times in Scripture where Jesus raises the dead. Jairus' daughter, and in John 11, Lazarus. And each of those three resurrections are a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the principle is the same. Jesus conquered death. He conquers death. It gives every one of us hope. It's a physical picture of a spiritual future for all of us. 
As Jesus Christ gave him back to his mother, one day there's going to be a time where we get to sit up and be alive and see those that we love. It's going to be a day of rejoicing. Now, there's more to it than that, but I want you to see that death is a reality for all of us. Our world's infected by it. The wages of sin is death. And unless the Lord tarries, all of us will, ex- will face this experience of death. But because of what we see here and because of the teachings of Jesus Christ, every Christian should have hope. Because Jesus says to us, don't cry, get up. One day we'll be able to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I don't know about you, but there's some folks that have gone before me that I'd like to see. How about you? I don't know how it works. I don't know how to try to figure it out. But I don't want my heart hard. I want to trust this Jesus with my future. And I pray that you will trust this Jesus with your future. There's an old legend that a cave and the sun were having a conversation. Went like this. The cave was filled with darkness. The sun said to the cave, why don't you come out into the light? Finally, the cave came into the light and the cave said, okay, now I've experienced some light. Son, why don't you come into my cave so that you can experience some darkness? So the sun said, okay, I'll visit your cave. So the sun came down, went into the cave and said, cave, I don't see any darkness around here at all. I just don't see any darkness at all. And that's exactly what happens when the light of Jesus Christ invades the darkness of this world. We have hope because we know that God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. Jesus is showing us here the power of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God. Will you receive it? You see, the human heart is so hard. We like these spiritual pity parties when we're over here. It's not fair for God to make me go through this situation. It's not fair that I'm over here. And it's not fair that they're rejoicing over there. Why did you bless them and not me? And we get stuck there. But we forget that God's not finished yet. He sees beforehand. He has the power. He's not limited. We question his wisdom. And we think our wisdom is greater than his wisdom. And we feel like we have the right to be sad and to have a pity party. And I get it. It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. It hurts bad when you don't understand. And I'm not trying to make light of the pain. But what I am trying to show you is that we serve a God that is beyond us in wisdom, beyond us in power, beyond us in compassion. And when we don't care about him, he has not stopped caring about us. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Don't give up. We have hope in him. If he can look at this mother and say 2,000 years from now at Antioch Baptist Church, Mom, I'm going to let your story be told. Because I want those people sitting in that congregation to have hope. What a beautiful lesson to hear. Point number three. What should this do? It should cause us to be in awe of God's presence. In verses 16 and 17, you'll see on your notes there are two phrases underlined. Really three. They were all filled with awe. I want you to circle that word awe. Because that should be the proper response to the majesty and power and glory of God. When's the last time you were in awe of the majesty and power and glory of God? And these folks are over here mourning one second, the next minute they're in awe. That's what Jesus, he can change your situation like that. Don't you want Jesus to change? I wish we all could, right? We could all be in awe. 
but the timing and presence of the Lord is his to control, not ours. They came to a conclusion. They said, a great prophet has appeared among us. Well, that's close. Jesus is correctly a prophet, but he's also the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. He's the Lord. He's in control of all things. If you cannot grasp that, you're missing it. Jesus is Lord. He set this situation up to show these folks that he is Lord and he will set up situations in our lives to show us that he's in Lord of our lives as well. And they said, God has come to help his people. That's the conclusion they came to. God came to help me. Don't you wish you could say that? God has come to help me. God has come to help me. I don't know that you fully understand that until you're going through the grief that this woman's going through. Perhaps you do. Perhaps you understand this grief. But I can promise you this. There's going to come a time in your life where you're going to wish you could say this. God has come to help me. May not be today. I may be with me tomorrow. What's the old saying that they used to say? You're either going into a crisis in one or coming out in life. There's going to be a time that you wish that you can say God has come to help his people. Look at the notes on your outline. We're almost through. This is the first time Jesus raised someone from the dead. This miracle was a small foretaste of a greater resurrection miracle that was to come. You see, we live in a world that denies these kinds of supernatural truths. Just This is all there is. You just go around once. We live in a secular society. We're going to tell you how to live. We're going to tell you how to believe. But don't you get super spiritual on me. And Jesus is saying, no. Jesus is saying to us, I am the Lord of all and I am in control. Trust me even when you don't understand. As Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, when you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. Trust him. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But I want you to see their response. One minute they're mourning. The next minute these two crowds merge. There's some rejoicing going on. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Remember that hymn? In the providence of God, I went to a a bookstore. Um, That's kind of who I am. I don't really know how to do anything else. And I picked up a a book by a charismatic theologian named Sam Storms. He's a very brilliant guy, and I love to read some of his writings. And he was talking about the providence of God and how God seemingly doesn't, he seems distanced from a situation, and then all of a sudden he just shows up. And you're in awe of him. When's the last time you've been in awe of the Lord showing up in your life and in your circumstances? We need to pray and ask God to show up. It's easier to be discontent. It's easier to have a spiritual pity party. Isn't it? It's easier to be sad and frustrated and upset that God hadn't done anything for me. And we like that. That's the default position. But when Jesus shows up, he changes that default position. And he turns it into awe and wonder and glory and power. And should be praise. Uh, There was a man named George Frederick. Many, many years ago. Whose dad was a physician. And he wanted his son to be a physician as well. But he didn't want to be a physician. He wanted to be a musician. His dad said it's not going to take you anywhere. And at the age of 57. This young man George. Hit rock bottom. Frustrated. Sad got in fights with other musicians because he thought he was so good. He became hopelessly in debt and became severely depressed. 
began to fight severe depression. 57 years old, what have I done with my life? There's no, you know, he's in this morning crowd over here. One day in the providence of God, Charles Jennings showed up a friend at his door and gave him uh, some writings called a sacred oratorio. This is just biblical stories from the book of Isaiah. Half-heartedly, George began to read them. You know, when, when you're down, you know, the psalmist said, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Sometimes you just got to talk to yourself about the truth of God's word to get you knocked out of it. It's good to have other people help you, but, but the battle's on the inside. You got to talk to yourself sometimes and convince yourself, Jeff, you might not be thinking the right thoughts here. And let the word of God overshadow your thinking. And he's having that, what I call the fog. He's being bombarded with thoughts. Oh, life's terrible, misery, those kind of things. So he's fighting through it while reading these, these verses in the sacred auditorio. And all of a sudden he gets to this little section, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Something happened to young George. He began to write. And he began to compose some music. He remained in virtual seclusion for the next 25 days, often with going without food, lest he be interrupted from his work. But at times, he would limp, leap into the air and he would wave his hands and he would say, Hallelujah! When it was done, he had composed, George Frederick Handel had composed the Messiah after 25 days. And to this day, they say it's considered to be one of the greatest manuscripts musically of all time, Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah. I'm not going to sing. I want to keep it happy for you. His depression turned to awe because he learned how to praise based on what God has done for us. When's the last time you praise the Lord for what he's done rather than be sorrowful for your experiences? Some folks just like to live over here. No, I know that they're rejoicing over there, but I choose to stay right here. Jesus is seeing. Jesus knows who needs a touch. But it's a whole lot easier to stay right here. But if you'll just let him come up to you and touch your situation. Bring about the results that he wants in his time, in his way. We don't tell him what to do. He shows us what he can do can change your circumstances where you all of a sudden have a brand new perspective and you're in awe, awe of what Jesus can do. But you'll never see the glory of God if you're determined to have a pity party, if you're determined to stay as one who mourns, to stay passive, to stay away from the truths of the Christian faith. Listen to me. Our God is good. Our God is perfect. Our God is loving and he never makes a mistake ever. Do you believe that? If you don't, put your trust in him. Say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know why all these bad things have happened. But I know that your word says all things work together for good for them that love me. Here's a mom that's giving us a shining example today. When she hits rock bottom, she goes to the rock of ages and his name is Jesus Christ. And he turns her life around and gives her hope. And that's what I'd like to give you today. Hope. His name is Jesus. And he loves you very, very much. He hasn't forgotten about you. He knows your pain. But there's a day of rejoicing in store for those who put their trust in him.
Can you, will you, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. When's the last time you had awe of Jesus? A-W-E, awe of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for your holy word. I thank you for visiting with us today. I thank you, Lord, that you are an amazing, awesome, powerful God. And I thank you, Lord, that you have showed us through this text, through a grieving mom, that you can move mightily even when we think there's no hope. Father, there may be some in here today who've lost hope. There may be some in here today who are discouraged, frustrated. I pray that you'll give them just a a mustard seed of faith, a little hope that they can trust in you as they go forward in this life. We thank you that moms demonstrate to us what true hope and faith is. As we go from this place, I pray that you will bless them and help them to teach us how to know you better. We ask this in Jesus' name. Moms, we're thankful for you. This story comes from a mom. Thanks for teaching us how to trust in Jesus, how to walk with Jesus. If you have a mom that you're thankful for, would you just raise your hand? Would you just tell that mom, if you're able to right now, how thankful you are for him? Go ahead. Moms, you need to know, as we all do, how important you are and how loved you are. And I hope today that through this lesson, through this text, that you saw indeed that Jesus loves you very much. Don't give up on him because he will never, ever, ever give up on you. Amen. During this time of invitation, I'm going to ask if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to put your faith and your trust in him. He's not forgotten you. Don't forget him. Perhaps God's called you to become part of this church family. Perhaps you just need to know you're loved. Hopefully you got that message today. The challenge this week is to go ahead and be a blessing to those that might be in that crowd over there. Be the agent of change to give a kind word, some encouragement, perhaps a phone call, perhaps a note. You want them to go know that they can be over here rejoicing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's all stand together. If God speaks your heart, you come. Let's sing this song with gusto to the Lord.